Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. So it looks like the former president didn't get arrested today. We'll see what tomorrow brings. But tomorrow will bring Western New England University School of Law professor Jen Taub, who we bumped today, to discuss the potential charges. Tomorrow we'll also begin our Meet the Mayor series. We'll introduce you to Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia. Got a question for Mayor Garcia? Email us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us 1-800-639-9120. Later on this hour, a conversation with Jenna Elber, the artistic director of the Martha Graham Dance Company, coming to UMass and UConn this weekend. She'll be joined by Ann Sauter, one of the dancers in the company. It has been a bit of a day around here in the building. Our hearts could use a pick-me-up. Maybe yours could, too. So, we present to you, Baby Goats! Are you going to bite me? Where are the babies? <gasps> there they are! Yeah, there's more in there. <laughs> and this, oh my god. This is why I'm so excited to be here today. Hi kids! I can't even. They are so adorbs. They're the best. They're the like best. <laughs> I want to do yoga with them. Oh, don't worry. They're, they've been going twice on the weekends. They Wait. go to East Hampton. You, they really yeah, are doing it? Yeah, All right. friend takes them. He takes them down to do them. Time for our Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks, and Khalees and I, who are at Thomas Farm in Sunderland. What's your name? Lori Cuevas. We have tiny little baby goats before us. They are the cutest things. What is Thomas Farm on a day-to-day basis? Well, you're looking at a lot of chaos right now. (laughs) You're hanging the goats inside (laughs) in the barn. Yep. So we have about 130 goats and about eight or ten cows. And we are mostly cheesemakers, so we milk the goats. Blessed are you, the (laughs) cheesemakers. Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. So that's what we do. That's our our main focus. But we also have a really busy farm stand here. So we grow produce in the summer and flowers, and we have eggs. We deliver to local restaurants and local stores. What you're famous for in my house is cheese curd. Yay! It's amazing, delicious. It's got a squeak when you eat it. It's perfect. I've never tried to make poutine with it, but if I were going to, that would be the one I would get. It's good for frying. Yeah. It is good for frying. Now you're talking. Yeah, I did get it. Actually, we did fondue with it, and that was actually very good. So that was technically fried. It's made out of cow cheese. Uh So we we, we have a few different cheeses we make with the cows, and mostly soft cheeses we make with the goats. We've got these little kids, the baby goats yeah, here. And how many kids you got this, this season? This is kidding season. Are you so kidding? We, no kidding. <laughs> All kidding aside. Um, okay, we got that out of the way. Thank God. <laughs> this is going to happen again. This is going to happen the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is kidding season. This is our busy time of year. So goats are really neat because they're seasonal, so they actually dry off in the fall, and they'll take a couple months off, and then they begin having babies again in the spring. So this is our busy time. This is crunch time. And um, so far we've had 40, 43 babies, so only wow. 20, 21 mothers have had kids. Should we talk about contraception? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you guys <laughs> Catholic like my family? Not if we're going to remain members of the fastest growing religion in the world, my boy. How many do they average per, per goat? So two to three babies per, per goat. So we still have another 65 or 70 mothers due. So you can do the goat math. That's 200 babies. Yeah. You guys are the goat. The greatest of all time. Just under, but like. I wish you were kidding. Here we go again. Math quick. And I was kidding when I said these baby goats, I want to do yoga with them, which is like this really big hippie hipster trend to do yoga with goats. But your kids are actually doing goat yoga? We do goat yoga right now. Um, Our friends at St. 
Sage Meadow Farm. They make soap and yes. uh, and beautiful lotions and things. And they've been taking the babies, and they actually are donating all the proceeds to charities. And they're in East Hampton. I think they're all sold out. Like they've they've been really popular. Um, so we were actually this morning brainstorming, saying, "Geez, we we could just do goat cuddling because that's all it, it really is." It's like I've been doing that this whole that's time. It's why I it's haven't been asking cuddling. questions. It's because I just want to yeah. hug. The goat. You don't have to do any weird like contortion or anything. Like yeah. you can just hold no, them. Like, Why would you do downward-facing dog when you could just grab a goat in your arms and snuggle it? That's all. Do you want to see some more babies? Yes. yes. Come on. No. Come on. This is why we came here. This is the nursery. So um, these guys are all... <gasps> these are even tinier baby goats! <laughs> These are, so we, we have triplets in here, but we have a whole bunch of other babies. Um, we sell a lot of babies, so mm -hmm. people come to get them, um, mostly for pets or for milk. How much are they? Uh, well, they're... Oh, no, you don't have no, to tell me. No. I'm, just, I'm getting tempted here. Yeah, no, you should. You, you would look good with a goat. Yeah. I mean, you are the goat, so... No, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. But these, so yeah, so we sell the babies. Um, some go to breeding farms, some go to be pets. Um, a lot of times people come for two. Um, we have other people that have a lot of brush on their property, so they want animals to kind of chew that down because goats so. can eat poison ivy and oh, it doesn't yeah. affect oh, them right yeah. so if you have like a huge poison ivy problem goats is the solution no problem eating all that stuff so uh -huh. and they also eat everything that you care about so you have to kind of be careful <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they come out in different colors you never know what you're going to get but mm -hmm. it's a cool part about nubian goats so the nubians are um, long-eared pendulous ears they're really affectionate they're really loud. <laughs> they're, none of these are loudest. screaming like the That's screaming goat thing. Feeding them right oh, now. Okay, but, but they, do they scream oh, like? Yeah, they have what to say to me. It's like they're insane as soon when as you they hear see them. Me, hey, we're over here. <laughs> <laughs> and for no reason. They scream it with their mouth full. So they're very affectionate and uh, they're really nice to work with. They're really clean animals. We really like them a lot. They're um, physically manageable. So we've both worked with cows our whole lives. And then when you downsize and begin working with goats, it, it changes everything because you can actually physically move them. You know, it's kind of a, just a little bit of a kinder animal to work with. And they're very, very smart. And again, clean, like the cows. They'll just poop everywhere. They don't care. Mm -hmm. Goats? No, they don't do that. They're not. They're not dirty like that. So. We're with Lori at uh, Thomas Hill Farm in Sunderland. Phil Corman. So Lori, I, I do know because of that amazing story you told at Field Notes. I think coming up at the Academy of Music in just a couple yes. weeks. April 30th, Sunday, two to four. It's a storytelling event for CISA. And and you told this story about when you grew up on a dairy farm and when the cows left the farm yeah. because your parents couldn't afford to keep them. Yeah. It was a nice chance for me. I had a platform to be able to tell the story to people. And it's an older story, so it happened when I was a teenager. But it was something that's like burning still inside of me. And there was kind of a hole in me from it. And um, and I feel like it's kind of a nationwide problem. There's a lot of farmers that are struggling, and it's, it's continued through the years. So um, I felt like it was a good stage for me to kind of bring it to the surface and just explain what a charmed life I had as a child and how amazing it was to be able to grow up and and be even though I was different it was not in a bad way like at first I didn't think it was great but then I realized how special it was and how lucky I am when you lose something like that because we went bankrupt in the 80s in the late 80s uh, that was really devastating to us like it was it was a, probably the worst thing that ever happened to our family and uh, and we had to leave we had to sell the cows and it was just it was a really wicked time in our lives it changed the trajectory of where I went in my life I went in a completely different 
different direction. I wasn't a farmer. I was in corporate America for 20 years. I was in global marketing. I flew around the country and ran national seminars at for a, a giant company. And um, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait every single day to just get my girl costume off and go back out in the dirt. Mm. I just couldn't wait. So <laughs> it was always there. So now I, I used to have five weeks of vacation. I used to have a nice salary. I had benefits. <laughs> I have, so now I, don't, I have no vacation. My salary, mm, there's no salary. I couldn't be happier. I'm in the best place I've ever been in my life. And I've never worked harder. And I've never, but I'm so gratified. We're so happy here together. It's just been, it's best thing that's ever happened. One of the NEPM reporters, Carrie Healy, was mentioning how she also grew up on a dairy farm. And one of the saddest moments of her life was when they had to sell the herd also. One of my previous partners who also grew up were like with cows, like remembers like the sell. There's something about that connection where when that loss happens, it's bigger than I think anybody really understands. Yeah, it's devastating. Because people already think I'm crazy. Like, I can go down the row out there. There's 130 goats. I can tell you exactly each one's name. I can tell you who their mother is. I can tell you I can tell you everything about her. And the, so you become really enmeshed. Like, this is my, these are our family. Like, they don't, we're really bad at selling the old goats. Like, you, a lot of farms will have to call or, like, try to, we, we don't. They just hang out. <laughs> we, just, we got some old crusty grandmas out there. Oh, we just, yeah. But they worked for us, and they did, you know, they gave their all. They gave us babies, and they gave us milk, and they, you know, gave us happiness. And, I mean, we owe it to them, so we kind of, we keep them around. So we have way too many goats, way too and The barn is bulging at the seams <laughs> with goats, but we, we're kind of soft on them. You didn't decide to try to do a dairy farm. So you've ended up with a goat dairy farm. Why is that? How have you made that possible for you and Jim to make a living? This is a unique farm in the sense that it's a a very small property. So we're working on like 25 acres here. We rent a bunch of land to make hay on. But the valley is kind of unique in the sense that the farms are pretty small as far as land-wise. You don't have a couple hundred acres to work on usually. And the, the land here is so valuable and so the to rent to buy it's extremely expensive so we were kind of forced to make it work on this small amount of land what animal works here and the goats made sense and you can get a product from them that's valuable so the milk that they make is makes cheese that you can sell at a at a better price than you can sell cow cheese at it just it's just logical so the cheese was you know became a really valuable piece of it for us and we realized that there was a demand for it and truthfully we could probably milk 200 goats and still not be able to to meet the demand which is which is a good thing a good problem to have but goats like to be together which is good yeah there's all these babies are all huddled together to keep warm it makes me want to go and huddle up with them Tell me about the cheese. So what types yeah. of cheese are you making with the goat? So mostly we make chev. It's a it's a soft, uh, nice, soft, creamy cheese. The thing about our chev is that I wasn't a big goat cheese fan, like, for my pretty much my whole life. I didn't care for that tang and, like, that, mm-hmm. like, punch in the back of my tongue. that I, I just didn't like it. Plus, I had been around, like, a kind of a smelly old goat when I was a kid. So every time I would taste cheese, I would, like, be like, wow, it's just like Whitaker. Like, that's how she <laughs> And I, I was 
always in my brain. Like, not that I tasted her, but she, I smelled her. And I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, I don't know. I didn't like the smell. But what I found was when we started making this cheese, it was milder. And it was um, it was sweeter. It was just something different about it. So I did a lot of research because I was like, okay, what is it that makes it different? And um, it's the kind of goats. So the Nubians have this really nice uh, mix of fat and protein in their milk that um, makes it ideal for making cheese. And then we make some cheese curds out of the cow milk, like you had mentioned before. I love them. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's such a compliment when you have, um, we have a lot of people who are Canadian that have found us because they have cheese curds. Like, that's a thing. Poutine is their thing. Yeah. Poutine, poutine. They'll seek us out. Like, come and find us and buy tubs of them, you know. So it's been really. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So could you share a little bit? Here we are three years from uh, when the world stopped. And I'm wondering what happened when the world stopped for you during the pandemic. Yeah, that was a crazy time for us. So it was like right around this time of year, right? Mm-hmm. So the goats are all having babies like crazy. Everything is the same as what it always is. Milking, we're doing all these things, and we're and then the world comes to a screeching halt. And we we had actually had we had just hosted um, chefs from UMass the week before, and then the week before that we had Smith College come with all their you know food stuff, and um, they were you know all vested in the cheese. Everybody's excited. The farm tables buying cheese like crazy. Like we had all kinds of activity going on. And and then everything stopped. And we were like, uh-oh, what are we supposed to do now? Like, what? Are, first of all, what are we going to do with all this cheese? Thankfully, Chev is forgiving and it allows you to freeze it. So we were freezing what we had to. But almost in the same week that the world stopped, Caroline Pam came and found me from Kitchen Garden. And she said, we're going to start up a home delivery. What do you think? She's our neighbor. We know her well. So she came and, and she asked us. And we said, yeah, absolutely. So we just switched gears. Instead of selling five-pound tubs to restaurants, which weren't open anymore, we started selling the four-ouncers. And we sold a lot of them. People There's began. the Berlin Food Club. Yes, exactly. yep. yes. Which is how I discovered your curds. Yes. <laughs> so we were so fortunate because she hit the ground running. And what an impressive thing she did. She was here like maybe Tuesday and I think orders were open like by Friday and she was just on it and we and from there it just took off and then the other surprising thing was our farm stand so we had this little we had a little farm stand open open air farm stand people started showing up and showing up and more and more and more and I was like what are you buying? Like, it's not that big of a stand. Mm-hmm. We would sell out of eggs and we'd sell out of this and that. So we started to add things to it. We're so lucky around here. I don't think people who live here realize how lucky they are, like, that you can just go to a farm stand, a farm stand, a farm stand, and get what you want. It's not like that everywhere, you know, and we're so lucky here. But we had a following, and people were in line down there at that little tiny farm stand waiting to get in, and it was like, holy. We had a big responsibility to feed a lot of people at that point, so we did. Yeah, we're pretty lucky to be part of the local food system. Coming up, more salve for our wounded souls with baby goat cuddling at Thomas Farm in Sunderland. Will Khalees get a goat named after her? And why, even if you hate goat cheese, some local goat cheese might be worth a try. Plus, a conversation with members of the Martha Graham Dance Company, including artistic director Jenna Elber. Coming up in the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. I'm a goat servant. Like, pretty much I'm a certified goat servant. That's really all I do is just serve them. High on the hill, there's a lonely goat herd. We're with Lori Cuevas at Thomas Farm in Sunderland. When we were talking about your Field Notes story, the one thing I remember most about it is that you made a call that your dad used to call when you would call the cows in. Will you do that? (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) What does that mean? 
Look at how they all are. <laughs> all the goats reacted no amazing. Standing ovation. Yeah. I told you that's oh, a thing. What does that mean? No, I don't know. <laughs> it's just oh, what I he super said. I wish I had been filming that. <laughs> it's something I did a call, cow call and they all came running over. Yeah. yeah. Even Jim came running. He did. See? <laughs> Good job. Good job. You got to hear this sound. This is the sound of dozens and dozens of goats eating hay. Don't eat my recorder. They want it though. Do goats really like eat everything, like tin cans and all they that? They like to taste everything. Like, yeah. Look at Bailey thinks we have a treat for her. Yeah, I we don't. A treat for you. This is Sabrina. This you... is Madison. This is her daughter. See, this is crazy. Yeah. They all look like goats to me. <laughs> they, don't, they all look different. Though. I know. They I do. know. They yeah. do. If you worked in a school, you would know all the students' names. That's kind of how I explain it. We just got them a new goat brush, so they have this new. Um, it looks like a car wash. They use it like crazy. They love it. So we try to keep them really happy. That's the, that's the most important thing for us here is that they're happy. So they're good girls. Oh, here's some more babies. Hi, boys. Hi, boys. Sometimes I forget like how hard I work to get here. Like this is what I this is what I was supposed to do all along, and I just kind of got detoured. But. But uh, but everybody comes here like, oh, yeah, this is my dream job, and I'm like, well, I mean, there's ugly parts too. But you know, I thought to myself, man, I'm so fortunate. I get to I get to stand here and I can hold this baby as long as I want to and pet her and you know, it's just yeah, we're so we're so lucky. We get to do what we love. All right, Khalees is gonna hold one of the little 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 babies. Just like a puppy. What's that one's name? I don't. We haven't named her yet. She's out of our, our big goat sweetheart. We're gonna keep her. Whoa. Of course, we're gonna keep her because we we keep too many goats. <laughs> it's a sickness. <gasps> My day is made. <laughs> Isn't she just the greatest? You know, I love her. We're gonna go back to NEPM and smell like. Yeah. Don't care. Neither do I. Don't care. I know. How is the new gig? It's good. good. Yeah, we're having fun. We get good. to do stuff like I this. I know. It's really I don't great. have to wake up for farmer hours or worse. <gasps> Look at you guys. I'll goad it up. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, this is better than yoga any day. You're wasting your time with the goats. You are. You can do yoga anytime. Right? And they run around and jump on your backs and stuff. Yeah, I guess that's the fun part, but still. Is this where they do the milking? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna put the goat down. This is our uh, we milk the goats and. Um, it's pretty small. It is. For how many it's very goats? Compact. Yeah. Compact. Yeah. So Jim worked around it, and he's um, also a welder. So first of all, he built this whole barn. Mm -hmm. Every nail, every screw that you see, that's his work. He's he's very humble, as you can see. You haven't hardly seen him. Yeah. <laughs> he's working while I talk. He's really something. Um, but he's extremely talented. He so he built this milking parlor. All welded it right in here in this room. We have two milking machines that we set right out here. It usually takes like maybe five minutes per goat. It's pretty fast. You can see we have, we keep a list here of all the moms that have had their babies and when they had them. So this will be full by the time we're done. We have, we probably have another 65 or 70 to go. So. Wow, that's crazy. I know, somebody, somebody pinch me. <laughs> I love that you have a can of something over here that's yeah, called that's fight, fight Back, back. Yeah, Teat fight Disinfectant back. Yes, it is. for the control of mastitis. <laughs> utter cream, you know. Yeah, keep it's all utterly delightful. <laughs> and then this is our milk room. So this is where we store the milk. When you go to a big farm like Mapleline Farm, you're going to see a giant tank that sticks out of the wall, you know, thousands of gallons of milk. Well, when you go to a goat farm, you're going to see like an 85-gallon tank mm. because the goats are, <laughs> they're not, they're not the big producers like that. 
Kalise, I think Lori might be naming this goat after you. I'm okay with this. <laughs> There's a lot of responsibility if that happens. Yeah. Oh darn. You're the goat's goat mother for the rest of its life. Well, that's my that's my Fairy goat mother. name, Dairy Goat Mother. Yeah. <laughs> that's my thing. I got a following, so. She's adorable. She's so calm. <clears throat> she is. She loves you. She's so happy. She's just like, I am also happy. <laughs> They're for sale, Kalise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> City of Springfield needs a goat. All right, it's oh, cheese no. tasting time. What yeah. do we got here, Lori? Uh, so we've got some um, fresh chev that we just made, um, I think, yesterday. And then we have some cheese curds here from the cows. So these are just two of the products. <laughs> and this is from yesterday. Like, this is so smooth. There's no tang to it. Like, there's no real, like barnyard it's like it's still a little grassy yep. but not like any of the barnyard that you get from like other yeah. goat cheese if you think you don't like goat cheese and you try it this fresh i think you might change your yeah. tune and you put a good amount on this i usually don't and i think i'm gonna start putting a good amount on. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> i recommend it i would just yeah, eat absolutely. it with a spoon the cracker is just non-essential yeah. in my yeah, mind that's just but it would have been rude is. so Lori, i do need you to share a little bit about your tiktok fame Oh, yeah. So I have accidental TikTok fame. My cousin kept saying to me, you know, you should put some goat videos on TikTok. You should do. And I was like, listen, I can barely handle like Snapchat frustrates me, you know. So, yeah. So I said, all right, maybe I'll put a video on because all I do is take videos of funny animals. So I said, OK. So I put a couple videos on and people liked them. There was one with the goats all following me. There's like 100 goats like following me through the field. And but all of a sudden um, I came across a video on my phone, an old one of my dad, and he has this pet ox like a steer and my dad you got to appreciate he's only like maybe five two and i'm giving i'm giving him credit with his big boots on he's small and like sturdy and strong and he's 78 years old now but he has an ox who is over like six feet tall at his hip and he's just probably 3,000 pounds. He's massive. He's just this amazing amount. And they're complete buds. Like, they absolutely love each other. So I have this video of my dad scratching them with a stick. And I was like, oh, I'll put it out there. And it went crazy. So then the Tommy videos kind of just took a life of their own. And um, one of them has, um, like, 15 million views. There's wow. another with, like, you know, 13 million views. I have, like, 250, almost 250,000 followers. And people are following along his whole saga. He, he hurt his foot. So everybody wants to know how that is so <laughs> it's unbelievable I, I, I have all these people demanding like they want information you need to come it. up with a merch store is what no, you need I know do. well that's what I have to do yeah I, I think you could do I stand with Tommy oh. and then you could see how tall oh, you I are like compared that. to Tommy I actually kind of like that <laughs> yeah so I'm the dairy goat mother on, on TikTok I don't know if this is right but I know some people are mildly lactose intolerant mm. is yeah. goat cheese easier for them yeah so goat cheese and goat milk um um, apparently is more digestible for a lot of people. Um, one of the cool things about goat milk is that the cream doesn't rise to the top like you would see where you have like cream line milk or raw milk. You'll see where the cream, you'll have a, like a nice like, you know, yellower cream line on top. But goat milk is, is already homogenized. It's already... You know, so they're always they're running and jumping around all over the place. Right? They just keep it like full mix. That's probably the, you know, you might be onto something. All the energy right? is passed down directly into the milk. Yeah. Exactly. That's science by Monty. <laughs> That's goat science right there. Yeah. I'm it's digging into the cheese curd. Yeah, eat the hardcore. cheese curds. It's good. Oh, yeah, they're a little stuck together, but that's, that's okay. okay. That means you have, to, you have eat, to eat them more. You have to eat more because you touched them. There we go. Mm-mm. 
We're pretty proud that we also have the, the CISA logo to be able to put on things. And CISA's been really helpful to us too. Like we've been, we've been lucky, we just redid all our branding. So we have these like cute little goats together. And we had a wonderful uh, girl that we worked with who helped us design the label. And then um, with CISA's help, we were actually also able to afford to do um, a whole website redo with her. So we've been right. really lucky. Have you been thinking about doing other goat cheeses? Yeah, we've made um, goat gouda before. Yeah, we have done it. But the problem is the chef is in such hot demand that yeah, honestly, like, yeah, milk. like we, if, we, if we end up milking more goats, we probably will. We don't have a cave, an aging cave. So that's kind of, we have limitations here to what we can make. But, you know, when you think about making a soft cheese as opposed to a hard cheese, you're going to have to sit on that hard cheese for three months, six months, it's a year. Yeah, and then, and then you pull it out and you better hope that it's good. We've evolved quite a bit, but it's mostly done by hand. Like, we're really, like, hands-on the two of us doing it all. Then we jump in our little vehicle and deliver it all. And <laughs> but we have great relationships with all our accounts. You know, they know our faces. So we're lucky to be able to do that. The nice part about this cheese is that it's instant gratification. You know, it was milk yesterday and nice. now it's, it's cheese. Now today. it's in my belly. You know yeah. it. Yeah, and that's the freshest, like that's our newest, like that's the first like spring cheese this year. So we're, we're really excited to be back on the, on the cheese wagon. Just in time to get new cheese. Yay! <laughs> spring is here. Impeccable, you know, impeccable time. You can see all the baby goats on our NEPM Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages because we took lots of footage. And it feels good to look at them. It does. Thanks to Laurie Cuevas of Thomas Farm in Sunderland and to Phil Corman from CISA. Full disclosure, CISA is an underwriter of NEPM, but that's not why we talk with them. We just love talking to farmers, and I think we should go visit Tommy, that giant ox, at yes. some point. Yes, at some point we will for other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but we do love cuddling goats, so we share it with you. Coming up, Jenna Elber and Jan- Ann Soder from the Martha Graham Dance Company coming to UMass and UConn this weekend. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. I'm here with Janet Elber, Artistic Director of the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Ann Sauter, one of the dancers in said company. They're coming to the UMass Fine Arts Center on March 25th. Can you talk a little bit about Martha? I know this is going to be an oversimplification (laughs) to try and get into what Martha Graham means to modern dance, but if we could just get a snippet and kind of at the core of her style. Oh, wow, sure. Martha revolutionized dance by making it human. Uh, Dance in America, the turn of the century, was very um, escapist, fantasies, imaginary gods and goddesses from faraway lands, princesses and swans and that sort of thing. Between the wars, America had become a world power and we needed to have our own arts. And Martha took this on in terms of dance and she was looking for a physicality that expressed real human emotions and the challenges and struggles of existence. And she developed a style of dancing that is highly physical and emotional at the same time. How did either of you come to the company? I feel that everyone in the company has the same sentiment that Graham is 
a calling, both emotionally and physically of how you connect with the work. But less abstractly, I had wonderful mentors and teachers that introduced me to the Martha Graham technique. And I was coming from a place as a teenager that I only did classical ballet. And when I entered into university at the Fordham Ailey program, I was introduced to the Graham technique and truly immediately fell in love. Why I say it's a calling is because It was the first time dance for me became 360, not just physically, but emotionally. And even in the classwork in the most basic steps, I found a connection in my artistry that hadn't been there before and knew from that age of 18 that I wanted to be in the company. That was my goal. And I felt very lucky that my path ended up leading me into Graham 2, the second company. Now I'm in my eighth season with Martha Graham. We're speaking with Ann Souter, who is part of the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Janet Elber, the artistic director, coming to the UMass Fine Arts Center Saturday, March 25th. Ann, you were saying that there are certain tenets to the Martha Graham style. For a non-dancer like me, what are some of the things that I might recognize that is particularly Martha Graham if I were to come to see this performance or if I were to try to learn this style of dance? We have the basic movement of contraction and release, which comes from the breath in the body, but then manifested in the curvature of the spine. So the C curve and hollowing out of the center, and then the release, the broadening and expansion of the chest, you'll be able to see those movements quite often as our initiating forces in our dances, especially the classical Graham dances, as well as a cupped hand. And I think that's these two beautiful motifs of our fingertips and thumbs coming together to tent the knuckles of the hand at the side of the body or extended through the wrist are two very clear motifs of Graham movement that you'll see, especially in the first piece we will be performing, which is the Dark Meadow Suite. Just jumping in with Annie, yeah. um, this contraction and release, people who are non-dancers will recognize the power of the core muscles. Anybody who's in sports or does Pilates or yoga, and that's really what Martha tapped into, the coiling in of energy in the contraction and then the explosion out as the torso opens and releases energy. Also, Annie, I'd say leveraging against the floor, the, Absolutely. Um, you know, that it's really highly related to athleticism and sports. Classical ballet, the goals are anti-gravity, you know, looking lighter than air, making it appear easy. And in Graham and the choreographers who followed her, the effort and the power was really part of what she was delivering. And our dancers are incredibly powerful and athletic as well as expressive. I immediately straightened up my posture and made a C-shaped spine <laughs> while you were describing it and cupped my hands and everything. So it's very effective and inspirational. Good. Yeah, we'll, we'll check his alignment a little bit later. <laughs> You're bringing Canticle for Innocent Comedians to, to UMass, which is a piece that was done in the 50s, kind of lost. So it's only sort of a legacy piece. How did you bring this back to life? Gosh, where do I start? You know, one of the one of the ways that um, we curate our legacy, the great, incredible masterworks that Martha created in the mid-century modern mode. But one of the ways we curate them is by using them as creative springboards. You know, changing and messing with them, stealing ideas from them. We also perform them 
in the most authentic and beautiful way, as you'll see in the Dark Meadow Suite. But with something like Canticle for Innocent Comedians, uh, that was, was lost. There was no filmed record of it except for one small section. We decided to borrow Martha's title and her idea and structure and fill it with all new choreography. So her structure was, it was her, her, a celebration of nature and it's made up of eight short sections, solos, duets for the stars of her company, all named for elements of nature, sun, wind, water, earth, moon, stars, etc. Only the moon duet was filmed, and we still dance that. But we decided to fill it with new choreography, and we realized that each vignette could be created by a different choreographer. So that's what we did. And we're bringing you this sort of sampler of contemporary choreographers that fill this beautiful idea that Martha had back in the early 1950s. To bring it together, to give it some cohesion, we brought in Sonia Taya, a wonderfully versatile choreographer who recently won her second Tony, I think, for choreography of Moulin Rouge. And she's created the work for the, the ensemble the whole group of dancers that weave through each one of these vignettes. So it's taking a, an idea from long ago and just messing with it as creatively as we can. It's come together. It's quite an extraordinary piece. I'm excited to bring it to you. For either of you, because I think that both of you have danced roles that Martha danced herself. Are there parts of that rather reimagining it with your own body where it seems hard to put yourself in those roles? Like, how do you see yourself when you're dancing as her? I think that's the privilege of being a part of a company with such history. It's you have the, the weight of history on your shoulders of not just Martha, but also Janet, who's danced her roles, and then many generations beyond that it's come now to 2023, and we're still dancing these pieces. But I, I believe that Martha always asked for yourself, and she honored the individual dancer in her work, even if it was her idea and her character but I think to honor her with the most integrity is to step into it as yourself and make your choices. I think we all hope as the present company that we, yes, have one foot in legacy and history, but always another foot in moving forward. And we've come to a space where we're doing new works and the grand works, and they beautifully honor and combine what Martha did so that these new choreographers can do what they can do, but we can do these new works because we're trained in the drama and the physicality of Graham. So there's always this stepping past and present at the same time. It's a honor to do all these parts, but you also have to make sure you're yourself and present in 2023 and realizing the relevance of these historical works are just as poignant in this day as they were in 1936 and 41 in the 60s, 70s and beyond. Yeah, and I was fortunate enough to actually be directed by Martha Graham in some of her roles. And Annie's absolutely right. Martha, it didn't even cross her mind that I should dance the role the way she danced it. She had such a belief in the power of the individual and that you are unique. There are famous quotes with her talking about the, your unique potential. And as she directed me, I'm much taller than she was. I have a much different personal dynamic and aura. And she taught me to bring all of that to these classic roles and not try to imitate anyone else. That was so far from what she believed a person should be doing that you know it didn't cross her mind. You know, to have a mentor like that as a young woman back in the 
early 1970s when I danced with the company was just remarkable. I mean, I look back on it now when we we talk about mentoring young women and who are the, the women out there who are helping young people come forward, young women come forward. And I think how lucky that was that I had that almost 50 years ago it was quite spectacular. It seems like a lot of that philosophy also influences the way that you work as artistic director. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, that's a life lesson I took from Martha, and I, I hope I'm passing that on, that each Absolutely. individual artist has to believe in themselves and bring themselves 100% to their artistry. Yeah, it's very important to me. We're speaking with Janet Elber, who is the artistic director of the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Annie Souter, who's going to be performing with the Martha Graham Dance Company, Canticle for Innocent Comedians, Saturday, March 25th at UMass Fine Arts Center. Depending on what sort of cultural or ethnic background you grew up with, dance may or may not be an important part of your daily life. I look at old home videos from my Italian-American family, and every gathering there was a dance party that would break out. When I was a kid, you kind of got looked at as a white kid in the suburbs. I loved to dance, but I would everybody would kind of look askance at me. And now we have things like TikTok, where we are creating this social media cultural dance experience. We've got the, the Wednesday Adams from the, the new version of the Netflix show Wednesday. What's your take as people who do do this professionally about corporate dance and how social media has impacted our dance language at this point. I think it's incredible. It's fabulous that this whole new interest in dance in all of its varieties has grown up, not just TikTok and social media, but the TV shows, So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars. Right. I mean, they have brought dance to the people in a way. You know, Dancing with the Stars shows the audience that there are standards, that there are goals that these dancers are working towards. And that is the same for concert dance, the stuff that we do, as anything social media. I think you'll see that on stage. We don't want your audience to have the impression that we're doing all serious stuff from 1952. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the range of choreographers on our program have background in hip-hop and street dance and uh, Afro-Caribbean dance. The selection of artists that put Canticle for Innocent Comedians together is really very rangy and accessible. We should also mention that the score created for that work is by the great jazz pianist Jason Moran. So it's really a piece that is inspired by the past, but very much speaks of dance today. Very, very cool. In similar fashion, people might not necessarily understand the importance of second companies. Could you get into that a little bit? Because I think second I, companies are so cool <laughs> when you have them. They are. I was able to explain this concept to my father, who is an avid sports fan, by talking <laughs> about the minor leagues in baseball. This idea that when I first auditioned for the company, I was green. I was new. I was new to the Graham world, to the professional world. I needed a year of honing. The second company in Graham focuses all on the Graham technique and the Graham works. You go through the Martha Graham school as well, and it's just a year to learn an in-depth, almost crash course of how to perform, 
and the drama and the works of Martha Graham. And you're able to perform with that this company of young dancers around New York. We do lots of outreach programs, our own season, and it prepares you to enter into the company with basic knowledge of many of the pieces so that when you move into an apprenticeship, you're much more mentally prepared than you were if you came in fresh from university. And it's a really wonderful way to jump into the work and have time, almost like a master's program to get prepared for the first company. Yeah, it's the uh, Gram 2, our second company, is definitely our farm team. It's a perfect example. And not only is sort of an intensive preparation for bridging into the main company, but it, from my point of view, I've had to turn to our second company on several occasions when we've had an emergency or an injury in the company and I've needed somebody quickly. I know that there's a group of eager young dancers waiting in the wings. Just like in the minor league baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pull them all, up. <laughs> and all of those minor league baseball players are way better of a baseball player than you will ever be. <laughs> it's still true. It's still so true. It's still inspiring. It's in that. totally inspiring. Because like, like we're still like looking at these works and still looking at those teams and exactly. going like, oh, that's just so cool. Yeah. And then just the dedication it takes to get to that level. Even if you're right. not in the Boston Red Sox and you're the Worcester Red Sox, you are an unbelievable player and you've committed your life to this fantastic athleticism. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We don't always have room for all of the talented people in our main companies. Annie said she's been with the company eight years, as almost all of our dancers have been with us at least eight years. So there's not always slots and openings for me to hire everyone who has been part of our advanced school programs. But the training in Graham is so powerful. We have dancers in other companies that came out of Graham too, that have danced with the Paul Taylor Company, for example, Jose Lamone, Mark Morris on Broadway. They go back to Europe and dance there. So it's not a narrow form of education and preparation. It really allows our dancers to go in almost any direction. Your current repertoire is a really good mix of older pieces and new work. What new work do you love? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, when I, when I look to commission choreographers, I really look for artists who are doing things that are sort of wildly different than the Martha Graham style. I, I really don't want something that's sort of Graham-esque. I want something that's the choreographer's own voice and, you know, bringing together the time that we're living in and how they perceive it. And invariably, when we put it on a program with the Graham works, there's this great conversation between the, you know, the historic works and Martha's thematic material and what's going on today. A lot of the conversations have not changed. The new work brings fresh eyes to, to her timeless classic. And her classic brings the, the, the substance of history and just the thematic material that is in our bodies, frankly, really influences what is going on in today's world. That's wicked cool. Jane Elber, the artistic director of the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Ann Sutter, one of the dancers of said Martha Graham Company, coming to the UMass Fine Arts Center on March 25th. Thank you so much for taking this time out with us today. Thank you. We hope everyone will come come see us. Come see us live. Yes. (laughs) It'll be even better in person where you can see them instead of over the radio where you only get to imagine it. And you get to imagine me arching my back in the Martha Graham style. Yeah, Monty has been doing some things in that studio. We don't have to talk about it. All right. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Take care. 
Not only will the Martha Graham Company be performing at the UMass Fine Arts Center on Saturday, March 25th, but they'll also be performing at UConn in Storrs, Connecticut on March 23rd. More full disclosure, <laughs> UMass holds the license for WFCR. The Fine Arts Center is an underwriter, and so is UConn. But look, if we can't talk to people who support public radio, who'd be left to talk to? That's a dark road. Tomorrow we'll begin our Meet the Mayor series. We'll introduce you to Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia. Got a question for Mayor Garcia? You can email us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us 1-800-639-9120. Coming up, we'll dip into our mailbag. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. It's time to dip into the mailbag. You can always reach the show at the Fab 413 at NEPM.org or text us anytime at 1 800 639 9120, like Evan from Northampton did when we were talking about the farm in Sunderland where we were cuddling the baby goats earlier. He said, I love the Sunderland Farm Collective, which Lori Cuevas mentioned was a pandemic era uh, business and farming hack all I in one. I absolutely participated in that. They had a pickup at abandoned building, which was really close to where I was at the time, and it was a lifesaver. Yeah, they were gathering food from all these different farms and driving it to different people in different locations. And it only stopped like last year towards like the middle of the season, it stopped running. So who knows? I think if you contact them and let them know that this is still a service that is really useful, then Perhaps. Yes, because Evan wanted to know. Uh, he said, I love the Sunderland Farm Collective, and we used to get home delivery. Is it ever going to start up again? The answer is beyond our uh, our knowledge. Beyond at our this ken, point. sadly. Yes. Uh, in response to our local hero agriculture segment last week, Jamie, who's our like, biggest fan, sent us a <laughs> bunch of books and a nice letter. I, so thank you. We're in you. the middle of reading those books, we promise. Yeah. Said, hey, I was very pleased to hear you intend to regularly highlight local farms. I suggest the following. Hetty Bell Farm and Grace Hill Dairy. Also, there's or will be a farm in Sunderland, where we just were, which is trying to incorporate nut trees, hazelnut into a permaculture operation. I haven't heard about that, but that sounds... That sounds fascinating. Permaculture in general, especially in this area, is really, really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of separate like schools of thought on it and a couple of books that have been written about it by people who are here. So yeah, and I know it's... UMass has a really uh, robust program, and mm -hmm. a lot of our indigenous friends who do uh, farming and gardening here have been doing this for a long time, uh -huh. so they've been doing a lot of excellent uh, critique as well as education in regards to how we keep, keep in doing that. Indeed, indeed. So we will absolutely keep it on our radar. In response to our pizza quest, Julia from Greenfield writes, Hello, Fab413. I love the brick oven pizza at Pulse in Hadley, Massachusetts, a wonderful vegan eatery and market. And then Julia writes, Loving the new show and want to make a suggestion for pizza quest, Zaz Hot Slices. It's an open air pizza shop located in the Duck Pond in Shelburne on beautiful Route 2. They serve up New York style slices and pies. It is a woman owned and operated business that was started two years ago. She'll be reopening in May. Please add them to your pizza quest list done and done. Yeah, we do actually have a, a functioning pizza quest list. And if you haven't heard about this, it is a quest to find the best pizza in the four counties of Western Mass. Yes, we, we, we here agree that New Haven has the best pizza 
Congratulations. Right. And I've been told <laughs> by my New York and New Jersey friends that I am wrong, but the heart wants what the heart wants. That's true. And the mouth does, too. So if you have a suggestion for Pizza Quest, again, the fab 413 at nepm.org or 1-800-639. And not... especially if you are in Berkshire County oh, yeah. and know where to get the good pizza, because we're looking specifically in that region for a couple of reasons. Yeah. And uh, for this week, we will be in the North Adams area. So if you have a, a favorite North Adams pizzeria, please... Let us know for sure, and we'll try to get there. Indeed. Lance Piantagini writes, and I mean, I'm going to take his pizza recommendation seriously. My vote is the Laughing Tomato mobile pizza oven reliably parked at Black Birch Vineyards each weekend. I'd first started going there at Northampton Tuesday Market years back. My runner-up would be Bruno's in Amherst. I used to live right next to there. It was like emergency food, (laughs) late night. I've been going there since undergrad days in the early aughts, sent some excellent pictures, which he did. Thank you for that. If I could eat pizza twice a day, every day I would. And I have currently have an 18-inch pandemic pizza Facebook photo album. It's not oh, 18, 18 inches. Sorry, yeah. That was, is, it's 18, no. quote, pandemic pizza Facebook. I was like, 18-inch pandemic pizza? That's too big. No. From my uh, 2020 and going cooking project, it all started when Roberto's shut down and I had to find a weekend pizza solution. I've continued a weekly pizza night ever since with my wife, Christina, and our good friend, Kat, here a few pies from my collection to let you know I mean business. And, and those, those pictures those were pretty, pretty serious pretty great, yes. for sure. On one of our first episodes, we asked what you think is fabulous about the 413. And Emily Woodward in Stockbridge wrote, hello, NEPM 413. I was delighted to come across an email about this new podcast. And yes, unfortunately, my junk mail folder. <laughs> Oops, I'm listening to the first episode now as I write this. But she says, her family moved here from Watertown, Mass, out of to Stockbridge in 2021. And she's really missed... Another show that is very similar to ours, Boston, Boston Public, Public Radio. Radio. We went to go observe them with Jim and Marjorie. <laughs> As it's not local enough in any event, some thoughts. Uh, abundant access to wildlands, a vibrant and diverse community, which is surprising to some. Um, Hungarian, Italian, Irish, all these parish churches, like third and fourth generation European immigrant groups that you can encounter and smaller communities, which is just nice, I think. And she says, I think we can all agree that the Mabel Park products are second to none. Yes, we can. Indeed, even when we accidentally scorch them on our own stoves. (laughs) We want to hear about all the things that you think are fabulous about the 413. We only have uh, 49 and a half minutes of showtime every day to talk about it, (laughs) but we try to talk about as many of the things... That's why we do it every day. ...as we can every day here uh, in the fabulous 413. Tomorrow... Is former President Trump about to get arrested? We'll hear from professor of law at Western New England University, Jennifer Taub. We had scheduled to have her on the show today, so if you're missing her, uh, Trump didn't get arrested, so we decided to bump her to tomorrow, and we'll see what tomorrow brings. (laughs) Plus, word nerd Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield on the definition of love. And the first episode of Meet the Mayor, the beginning of our new series introducing you to the mayors of Western Mass. Tomorrow, our first mayor, Holyoke's Joshua Garcia. Got a question for Mayor Garcia? Email us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us at 1-800-639-9120. Our director is Tony. We are really lucky to still have you done. Our engineer is Betsy. We are really, really lucky to still have you, Cortis. Our technical team is Kara. We are really lucky to still have you, Foster. And Bart, we are really lucky to have you, Rankin. And Punk Rock Dubay, who we are incredibly lucky to still have. And for those of us we no longer have, we miss you. And we thank you for everything. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, the Mountain Goats, Jason Moran, Julie Andros, and Andrews, and the Kids, and the Brass. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. See you tomorrow in the Fabulous, fabulous 413. 413.